Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. As a sex educator, I'm always looking for different teaching tools to use with my clients and students. I have found myself continually drawn to sexual education pieces made from fabric or more so yarn. This is why when I found the Instagram account at Not Your Nana's Yarn Work by the artist Crystal Rose Myhalo, I not only became instantly amused, but also delighted and fascinated by what I saw. This is definitely not the type of crochet you would see at your grandmother's house, but also who are we really to know what grandma is hiding. Crystal creates crochet pieces of different body parts like the vulva, penis, breasts, what have you. She makes them large, small, into planters, earrings, ornaments, keychains, pillows, wall hangings, and more. They are impressive and imaginative. At first, some people may think, why would anyone want these? But then you see them and they're like, well, I clearly need to have these. So Crystal, I am very thankful that you have decided to be on our show. It's I'm so to thankful to be here. That was yeah. a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just want to start by saying I have tried to crochet and I actually do really enjoy it. I find it to be very peaceful. Um, however, I am someone who also can't do math or like numbers. And I see, so like whenever I'm crocheting, I'm like, we don't need to really count stitches, do we? (laughs) (laughs) And so I am fascinated that you have been, that you make these, first of all, because it just seems like so uh, difficult to me and the fact that you've created patterns. So I am just curious, when did you first learn how to crochet? And then how does this feed your soul? So I will start off by saying that my math has improved <laughs> since <laughs> I started crocheting. <laughs> and there's a lot of geometry to it as well. But um, maybe this is what I need to do then. <laughs> so I actually, um, I actually knew how to knit when I was young. Like my mom taught me when I was in elementary school and I used to knit on the bus on the way to school and stuff. Um, but I could only ever do scarves. And then when I was pregnant with my son, so about seven years ago now, um, that's when I taught myself how to crochet. I couldn't knit now if I needed to, I don't remember how, but I think having the knitting experience kind of helped me a little bit with learning how to crochet, but I really just taught myself by watching like YouTube videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I started by making baby stuff. I mean, that's why I wanted to learn how to crochet because I was pregnant and I wanted to make cute little hats and booties and stuff for my baby. Um, And then funny enough, when he was born, nothing that I made fit him. (laughs) (laughs) He did have a pretty big noggin, so that might have been part of it. But I think I also, I was just never very, very good at making like wearable stuff and it's Mm -hmm. funny looking back because I so easily could have just gave up on crochet Mm -hmm. Um, but 
when I realized I wasn't any good at making like hats or anything like that, I decided to try making the 3D stuff. Um, amigurumi is what it's called. Um, and it just kind of came naturally to me. I started with pattern, like using patterns. And then after probably about a year or so of crocheting, I figured out that I could just kind of freehand stuff. Um, mm. I wish that I could say like there was, because people are always asking me, how do you do it? And I really don't know. It just kind of, it just kind of happens. It just kind of comes naturally to me. It seems to me that you were like meant to do this then, you know, because I feel like it's something where people, you know, to be able to just look at this, because some of what you make is just, I mean, it's beautiful. Like I particularly enjoy your heart pillow, the heart fall, the pillow <laughs> and things like that. Like yeah. that's hard stuff to make. Takes a long time. <laughs> I would think, yeah. How long does it take to make some of these pieces? So the bigger stuff, usually like seven, seven hours, seven to eight hours is usually like the longest that I'll spend on stuff now. Mm -hmm. um, so before I focused on the sex positive type designs, I did a little bit of everything. Like I used to make dolls and like characters, custom things, and I was good at it. But I also would just, it's so much work, like, mm. and I'm such a perfectionist. So I would charge somebody like a hundred dollars for a doll, expecting it to take me like five or six hours. And then it would take me like 20 hours. So oh, wow. it just was not sustainable. And then I realized that the stuff that usually got the most attention and the most positive feedback was the body positive stuff. So mm. When I decided to try and build my business a little bit more, that's when I decided to just kind of focus on one thing, put all my eggs in one basket. And that was when I just focused on body positive, sex positive, stuff like that. So what made you uh, decide to even start crocheting things that are sex positive and body positive? So the first thing I ever made was a vulva and it was a vulva Christmas ornament. Um, and I had actually seen some that were made with felt. They were quite different from mine, um, but I just felt a little inspired. Like I, I saw that and I thought of my best friend. We are like feminist sisters. Like <laughs> <laughs> we just, we have the same mindset and the same sense of humor. And um, when I saw these vulva Christmas ornaments, I instantly thought of her. And I wanted to make something for her. So I made a Volvo Christmas ornament for her. And I was, and then I really, I realized that I really liked it and it was really fun to do. And it got a really positive response. So I started making more. And when I first opened, so when I started, I sold on Etsy. And when I first opened my Etsy shop, I think I listed like eight ornaments total. And I posted about them on Imager, which is an image sharing website, kind of similar to Reddit. Mm -hmm. um, and the post went viral. So like I posted oh, wow. it at night and I woke up the next morning and my Etsy shop was totally sold out. Wow. And I was like, okay, I guess I need to keep making these. <laughs> and like my first year doing it, I started, it was around Thanksgiving that I started making the ornaments and like by Christmas I had sold about 50 of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in your opinion, why do you think these body parts are becoming so popular? You know, I think a lot of it is 
women in particular just trying to kind of take that back I don't know mm-hmm. how to say it like take, like control take ownership of that. yeah take ownership. yeah like mm-hmm. it's um so a big reason too like when I first started doing it it was around when Donald Trump got elected Okay. And, you know, the women's march was happening. And I think also that's a big reason why people were stumbling upon my stuff because people were looking for like the pussy hats Mm -hmm. and they were finding my stuff. And um, so I I think a lot of it is about empowerment and just kind of reclaiming our bodies Mm -hmm. and also spreading awareness and, you know, a message of inclusion, like, especially with the whole like vulvas all vulvas are different yeah and that's something that I feel like isn't talked about often enough you know Mm -hmm. especially with like pornography like mainstream porn it's always like perfect like little like designer tucked in vulvas and you you see that when you're young or even when you're older and you if yours doesn't look like that you're like is something wrong with me like is something wrong with mine Mm -hmm. and I think that that's a conversation that people need to start having earlier on in life like Mm -hmm. we need to learn about every part of our body Mm -hmm. so yeah 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 I think especially for I think our generation and the generation beyond ours of where we never I mean we it's not like we sat around and talked about like oh what does your Volvo look like or what do Volvos look like because we were told not to even talk about that yeah and so It is so mystifying, I think, when, or what's the word I'm looking for? We feel like delusional a little bit, right? When we see uh, other vulvas or like you said, how vulvas look and uh, within porn or, you know, whatever kind of magazine or something that uh, depicts them and and it is, it's just like, well, are we supposed to all look like that? Yeah. And I mean, even in like anatomy books and stuff, like in school, right. like when you see like a anatomical diagram of a vulva in a book for education, they always look the same. Exactly. Yeah. And they're all the same color. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like somebody w- I saw, did you see the thing where it was like the first time that a book was ever published with a black baby, like a black pregnancy, like a black mm-hmm. baby in the womb? It was like this year. Yeah. I know it's ridiculous yeah all the all the sexual anatomy models and everything are all white and all look the same I try to say this in the very beginning of my classes when I teach fifth graders is I talk to them about how in the very beginning I tell everyone we're soup and I say why are we all soup and or I was like how many different soups are there and they're just like oh so many I'm like right because we have all different ingredients and we talk about different chromosomes and we talk about um hormones and DNA. And I'm like, so all of us look different and that includes our genitals. Yeah. Cause it's like, if we can just say that in the very beginning, you know, and then we talk about some penises have foreskin, some of them don't, Mm -hmm. some labia extend beyond some of them don't, some of them look different ways. And that's because we're soup and we have different ingredients and all of our faces look different. So yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because whenever I go back and I'm like, what, what do you remember? And they're like, that we're soup. <laughs> like, yay. So that's fun. So how has making these pieces then changed your own life? It has, 
it has changed my life in so many ways. I don't even know where to begin. Um, it's funny because I actually just started writing a book um, oh, about how art has kind of molded my life and, you know, how my crochet business has changed my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like a lot of the questions that you're asking me today are things that I've kind of <laughs> been planning on writing about. So it's cool to kind of reflect on it. Um, but for one, a, a big thing is community and like the friendships that I've gained through it, you know, mm -hmm. all the other sex positive creators um, and accounts on Instagram, you know, I've made these friendships, but also like, I feel like I'm just constantly learning. Mm -hmm. um, and my mindset surrounding like my body and my sexuality even have changed a lot just mm. from having this exposure to all of these different you know sex positive people and all kinds of stuff um and then also just being able to do this as a job is it's changed my life so much I'm definitely not the type of person that can work like a typical nine to five job. I'm not a neurotypical person. Mm -hmm. you know, I have ADHD, I have anxiety. And the only job experience that I had before this was retail, which is a terrible job to have <laughs> if you have anxiety. Yeah. Uh, but it was all the experience that I had. And when I quit my day job last year to take this full time, I was honestly in a position where I kind of had to because I just couldn't function in my normal job, especially with the pandemic and everything. And I live in Georgia. Yeah. So, and I was working a job where like we had to enforce that people wear masks and stuff. Mm. Like it was terrible. That would be very anxiety producing. Yeah. So, you know, I got to a point where I was having panic attacks that were putting me in the emergency room yeah. and I had COVID also about this time last year and I had long-term symptoms from it. I still have trouble. Um, so I was just not able to work. Like I was going to work and having a panic attack, having to leave, not feeling like I could breathe, like all these different things. And when I, so when I had COVID, I missed a month of work. That's how long I was like really sick and had to stay out. And during that month, I was crocheting. Like I couldn't ship stuff out, obviously. Couldn't leave my house, but I was taking orders and crocheting and, you know, people were willing to wait. Hmm. And I made more money that month than I had been making at my day job. Wow. So I finally reached a point where I was like, I'm just going to take this risk. Like I'm going to yeah. quit. I'm going to try and do this full time. If it doesn't work out, I can find another crappy retail job, but I just couldn't keep doing what I was doing. Right. So, and like my quality of life since quitting that job and getting to do this full time, it's just, it's so much better. It's not easy by any means. It's still a lot of work, but like, I don't have panic attacks anymore. Like it's just, and overall I'm happier. I get to spend more time with my son. I get to be at home with my dog. <laughs> like um, it's just, I'm a homebody and it's nice having a job where I just get to be at home and do what I enjoy. That's amazing. I mean, and to be able to like be so like in tuned to, to your, I, I feel like there's this essence of you being really in tune to your body. 
Mm-hmm. And then being able to live fully into yourself and your body, you have to then be able, like you said, you took a risk and to be able to honor yourself, to then move into that risk and recognize I have something here, you know, like if, I mean, people are paying for your things and wanting it and willing to wait, like that's pretty magical, yeah. right? Yeah. I think a big thing for me too, is it's more than just a way to make money. Like it's something that I'm genuinely passionate about. Like I'm mm-hmm. trying to spread a message here. I'm trying to spread awareness and people are noticing that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm making a difference in the mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Um, and that's a good motivator for even when it's hard, like even because creating every day, like that's it's hard very work. draining. It is. Yeah. That's hard work. But I feel the inspiration from, from the people who buy my art, from the people who appreciate it. Like it gives me the inspiration to go, keep going, even when it's hard mm-hmm. because I'm making an impact and I'm inspiring other people. So what are some of the, what's some of the comments that you have gotten from people who have bought your things? There have been some things that have been like super meaningful and it's honestly like an honor to make things sometimes. Mm-hmm. I had a non-binary customer that got top surgery. They got their mm-hmm. breasts removed and they had taken pictures of their breasts beforehand and they commissioned me to make them a pillow of what their breasts had been before the surgery. Like I used the photo reference and did that. Um, And that was really touching to me. Um, And like the big penis pillows that I make, like the body size penis pillows. Mm -hmm. The first one I made was actually for a girl who suffers from chronic pain and chronic illness. And Mm -hmm. she wanted something that was like to substitute her regular lumbar pillow And like, she gave me the measurements of her favorite pillow. And, you know, she talked about how she had scars on the side of her, of her torso and stuff. And so when I designed this pillow, I really was taking into account how it would work for her and her body. And it's funny because that's one of like the things I sell the most of and the penis pillows. Yeah. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I think people see it and they just think it's like this fun novelty thing, but like the story, like the origin story behind it is so much more than that. It's so healing. And it's, I'm wondering too, if, cause sometimes, right. When people have chronic pain, uh, enjoying sexual intimacy is hard. Mm -hmm. Right. That's something that I have experience with actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm wondering too, if there's an element there of like, even with these body parts, like also representing you know, our sexual organs, it's kind of like connecting our sexuality to them too and enjoying it in a way that, you know, doesn't hurt, you know, of just like having the presence of it. I'm wondering if that is also part of it. I have a lot of people who thank me for doing what I do and that, you know, it makes them feel seen and that, you know, they grew up feeling uncomfortable about sexuality or their body and like seeing my art helps them heal. And I feel like making, making the art helps me heal because Mm. I, I do, I have fibromyalgia. Um, and a big problem that I have is pain during sex. Mm. So I, I've had a weird relationship with sex for a long time. 
Mm -hmm. And there were many times in my life where I didn't enjoy it. And also just, I think I felt a lot of shame for not enjoying it and for not wanting it. Um, So having this business now that kind of, you know, it's all about being, viewing sex in a positive way Mm -hmm. has helped me heal. And I've also, you know, I partner with a lot of brand like vibrator companies and stuff I don't know if you saw that (laughs) I didn't that's cool I have partnered with a lot of vibrator companies doing reviews or I've even like made little keychains of different toys and stuff and Mm -hmm. that was I think a turning point for me as well because it kind of you know having to review these sex toys kind of helped me explore my own body more yeah and you know find ways to enjoy intimacy again Mm -hmm. Um, so that too was very, very healing. Well, I think, I mean, all this sounds like permission giving, you know, like so much of what we grew up is like, we get, are given very, like a very narrow definition of how we can, how we can be in our bodies, how we can explore intimacy and what that looks like. And when those things don't come to fruition for us, it is so, um, I like that uh, loss of words today. It's just so damaging really, because yeah. then we feel like we're abnormal. We're not okay. And then the shame seeps in mm-hmm. and then we distance ourselves from even wanting to explore what this could be. And so it's like, I, your art seems to be allowing people to, you know, sometimes people are still afraid to look at their bodies. Mm-hmm. They're still afraid to explore them but to be able to then see a product. And I actually feel like, I sometimes feel like, you know, silicone models and stuff that really represent what genitalia really look like is still too much for some people. It can be a little intimidating. Yeah. But like these, that's why I really enjoy the crochet art because it, it's, it is the, the part of the body, but it's also somehow more inviting you know yeah. what I mean? Like for those who have experienced trauma or for those who have such a, um, a negative experience or a negative body image or are afraid because they've had negative experiences, it's a place that, you know, like crochet blankets, like we love them. They make us feel warm and they, <laughs> you know, and inviting. And then like, so to see the body parts like that in a crocheted way, may, I do believe like makes it more inviting to yeah. then be more curious, to then be like, okay, then maybe, maybe getting to know this. And I'm even like the tactile, like I think about, you know, some of your vulva pieces and how for some people who are afraid of their vulva, like just rubbing their hands over the parts mm-hmm. of your crocheted yarn and how it looks could be helpful for them to then transat, translate that into their own yeah. body. Something too that's always been important to me is I want them to be as anatomically correct as possible. Yeah. You know, I want it to be realistic, but I also want it to be, like you said, inviting and Mm -hmm. aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Um, I've had people say like, man, I really don't like looking at penises, but the ones that you make, Mm -hmm. like it puts them in a different light. (laughs) You know, the fact that you make them girlier and put like flowers and stuff on them, <laughs> you know, so yeah. 
So do you have a vision of how you would want this art to transform at all? Like, do you have any bigger ambitions with what to do with it in terms of how you see it's how, how it's changing people? Yeah. Well, it's hard, like, you know, as far as like taking my brand further and everything, it's hard sometimes to think of new ideas and what I can do with it. Mm -hmm. You know, right now I enjoy just making pieces to sell. I don't do a lot of pattern writing. I do Mm -hmm. a little bit of it and it's all on Patreon. Um, but it's not my favorite thing. Like I'd much rather just make things and write patterns for them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also know that that's not something I'm going to be able to do forever. Like I have a lot of trouble with joint pain and then just Mm -hmm. the burnout of constantly creating. So I think that's a big reason why I started my Patreon and have kind of been trying to build that so that, you know, when the time comes that I can't crochet as much and I need to shift the focus more to like tutorials and writing and stuff, I've kind of already got a head start. Mm. Um, And then, like I said, I'm writing a book. (laughs) Um, I definitely, the part that I'm more passionate about really versus the art itself is the, the message. Like, I'd like to think that even if I'm not crocheting forever, I'll find some way to continue working with like sex positivity and body positivity mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. Um, I don't know if this is something that I'll do forever. You know, I don't know if I want to just crochet until the day that I die and have that be how I make my living. Um, but it's definitely something that I have bigger visions for. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to keep going and building and evolving my brand. Mm-hmm. I've already done so much. I've already made it so much further than I ever thought that I would. So mm-hmm. it's crazy to think that there's more out there for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I well, know there is. Well, just from a business standpoint, you know, like how did, when you saw this, your first initial, you know, like you talked about around Christmas time or that you sold a 50 and things like that for others who are listening, who are like artists and stuff, how did you take that and then move that momentum forward? It took a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took some life changes some not so good life changes, I guess, that ended up being more so of a blessing. Um, When I started crocheting, I was a stay-at-home mom. And like when I was busting out those ornaments right before Christmas, it was when my son was only like a year or two old. Um, And I would crochet when he was napping or after he went to bed. Honestly, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I took care of a baby all day and then managed to find time to crochet when in my free t- in my downtime. Um, and I've had a, I had a lot of phases where I had to stop crocheting, like it just burnt me out, and you know, it was hard to balance that with taking care of my family, taking care of my son, um, and. Then when my son was four, he started preschool and that was when my husband and I separated Mm -hmm. and I had to get a job for the first time in several years. And I got like the typical single mom job. I was a cashier at a grocery store Mm -hmm. and 
so at that point I was taking care of my son I do co-parent with my husband I will say that so that makes it a lot easier Mm -hmm. um but my ex-husband I mean sorry (laughs) (laughs) um so at that point I was you know working a job a draining job taking care of my child and I was still trying to crochet because at that point I had built a bit of a following on Instagram and mm-hmm. even though I wasn't putting as much time into it like there were still always people who wanted to buy stuff from me and I still enjoyed doing it so but then as I continued being a single mom and working these soul-sucking jobs I just I felt motivated to keep crocheting and to try and build this business more and I kind of reached a point where I was like, you know, maybe this is something that I could do. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's something that I could do for full time. And it definitely didn't happen overnight. It definitely, you know, it took several years for me to build a big enough following and to have like regular customers and Mm -hmm. everything to be able to feel confident enough to have that be the only job. Um, so my best advice for people who want to become a full-time artist is to, as hard as it is, don't quit your day job right away. Mm -hmm. Try to find that balance. Try to find the time that you can create, even if it's just, you know, even if it's 30 minutes in a day, like just try to find that time and just build it slowly. Don't burn yourself out. And when the time is right, you'll probably know. And it's a mm-hmm. scary decision to make. It's a scary decision to make, but it's one of those things where it's like, you'll never know. You'll never know for sure. It's always going to be a risk, but it's a risk worth taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad it's worked out for you because I mean, you're so talented really. And to see the things are just, they're so beautiful. <laughs> like I'm already thinking about when, you know, what piece I want to get to, because I, I want to get something for my bedroom because it's just, there's beautiful pieces of work. I'm also curious as a mom and stuff, crocheting these pieces, what are some of the conversations you get into with your, with your child? People ask me that a lot. So my son is six. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't ask me a lot. So I don't really tell him a lot. I don't know if he recognizes everything. Like, I'm sure he recognizes the boobs and mm-hmm. I feel like I've, I've commented on the boob. Like he'll ask me what it is. I'm like, yeah, those are boobies. And he's just kind of like, okay, whatever. Like he doesn't think anything of right. it. Right. The vulvas and the penises. I haven't been transparent with him yet. <laughs> I'll de- I definitely will when he's older, but I feel like at the age of six, like it's not, it's not that I feel like he shouldn't know, but I just don't want him to like go to school and be like, yeah, my mommy makes penises. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, so he, he thinks the vulvas are eyes and the penises, some of them he has thought are mushrooms. So <laughs> oh, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, you know, when he gets older, obviously I'm going to talk to him more about it and like have a conversation about body positivity and, mm-hmm. you know, talk to him a little bit more about what I do and why I do it. But right now he just knows that I crochet. He doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily know what I crochet. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing. Like it's, 
Well, I think part of it too is I was going to say, I'm like, I can help you find words for this <laughs> when talking, but I think there's just so much stigma still within our society, right? Around our body parts. And even right now, you know, there's sex educators who are being blasted because they're talking about genitalia or like teaching the, you know, private parts and the names and things like that. Yeah. And people tend to think, well, that's so bad for, you know, young kids to know, but no. Um, it's not, you know, and it's something, and especially because we use these body parts every day, even mm-hmm. to go to the bathroom, you know, so it's good to know like the names and what they are and things like that. So it's kind of in a way, like I think as an educator, it's kind of wonderful that he's growing up with some of this stuff around the house because yeah. it will normalize it for him and it will be something where he's like, oh, these are just our body parts, like my elbow and, you know, and you can differentiate that. It's going to be, I think overall, it's going to be good for him because. Yeah, because there is stuff all over the house and Mm -hmm. I don't think he even notices it because it's just normal to him. But I definitely, you know, I do talk to him about our bodies and we use like the proper terms for body parts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's like, he's, we're naked around each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's asked questions. He's asked me questions about like body hair and stuff and like, like periods. And, oh, yeah. you know, I do when those things come up, I teach him about them. And yeah, I do want to normalize those types of conversations and, you know, help him understand that, you know, people have different types of bodies and everything. Um, it's just kind of hard sometimes to know what's age appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm wondering if there's times where people have reached out with negative comments to you. And then what what are some of the things that you hope people who come with the negative comments that you hope they can understand? So I'd say one of the biggest comments that I get that I guess is negative it's kind of like you said in the intro people are just kind of like why like why are you making memes mm-hmm. and I try to tell people you know it's about normalizing normalizing it it's a, from an education standpoint mm-hmm. um most of the the negative comments I get a lot of it is like homophobic transphobic type stuff and I will admit I don't often respond to negative comments Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't think that they really want a response or to learn. Right. And funny enough, a lot of my followers will do the work for me. Like (laughs) they'll be like, I hope that you educate yourself. And like, (laughs) like, like, yay. (laughs) For me, I just don't want to waste my energy on it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of the answers, the real answers to those things, they could just find if they looked through my page. So I have plenty of people who understand and support me to spend my time with. I don't have time for negativity and trolls. Right. Um, but it, it when it's something really bad, like really homophobic or transphobic or whatever, I'll, I'll delete comments and I block people. But that is the thing. I want, I want people to educate themselves and understand like the true reason behind this type of art and mm-hmm. not just see it as like, this girl's a weirdo. She's obsessed with body parts. Like, <laughs> And I get people too who say stuff like, oh, women, like women are more obsessed with like vulvas than 
than men are with like penises and stuff and that like we're really the perverted ones or <laughs> whatever and, and you're like, like i don't know about that have you been around <laughs> it's like why do you complain about men wanting to see it when you're like putting it on display and that that's when the whole reclaiming it exactly comes into play right like, yeah you know it's our choice if we want to do this mm-hmm. there's so many layers of education <laughs> that we still need to there's so much to it so much it's just it's almost exhausting in a way right when we mm-hmm. think sometimes about it makes me more sad to be honest it's like the fact that we're so I mean it's 2022 20, and we're still fighting with I mean how long have people been around <laughs> you know and that we still are having just anxieties and issues around our bodies and that people aren't willing to to go there to even educate and understand how they work how they function and you know and always I'm like well when we know everything it feels better you know and that we can heal and we can just have better outcomes overall in so many things so I don't know I'm just really glad that you're still doing that because you clearly are providing such a service for so many people who need to reclaim their bodies back and who need to just feel okay in the body that they have and to celebrate it, you know, because so often I think, I mean, with so many people too, who've experienced trauma around their sexuality um, and their bodies, we distance ourselves from that part of ourselves and it, and it takes a long time to get that back, you know? And so I feel like your art is doing this service for many people. Yeah. Honestly, the negative stuff, it really doesn't even get to me because for every negative comment that I receive, there's a hundred positive comments. And yeah, that's great. You know, I feel, I do feel bad when it's like a woman that comments though. Mm. Like I'll get women who are like, like I'll post a vulva art and a woman will comment and be like, ew, or like, like the, like the, the vomiting emoji. And I'm like, why do you, f-? or, or straight men who do it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you think that this is gross? Like it's a body part. It's a body part yeah. that you have, or that you enjoy, like, yeah, that you interact with. Gross. <laughs> I think that both, like, I think everyone needs to learn more, more about bodies. Like women need to know more about women's bodies and men's mm-hmm. bodies and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think a big thing that, that made me feel shame as like a teenager was hearing like boys talk about girls' bodies and like, like in like a negative way, like talking about girls having their vagina look a certain way or like having body hair and like I I think that more men need to know that vulvas are different yeah because I think a lot of them think that if like someone has a labia that hangs kind of low it's like loose or yeah whatever and it's like no some of them are just like that some Mm -hmm. are bigger than others some are danglier than others like it doesn't have to do with anything that that girl has done that's Mm -hmm. just how it is when I go to teach in schools and they ask me and they say um so are we going to separate the genders and I go no yeah and and they say well 
well, why not? You know, and sometimes kids, um, I always have them write questions or comments. And sometimes they'll say, why did we have to be together? And I say, well, we need to be together because we have to learn about everyone's bodies so we can, so we understand empathy. Yeah. So we know how other bodies work because you live with men and women and, and non-binary and trans people, right? We like, we live in a community. And so we have to understand bodies and community. And I was like, and some of us don't feel, you know, the sex that we're born. And so yeah, to, to put point. people to then separate, like is, is making them feel alienated. Yeah. And I was like, so being together is helping us understand all bodies and then we can support one another. I always try to make it clear, like, especially during puberty education, like everyone's going through change right now. And so that means we can all be kind because our bodies are doing things that we may not understand and that we can't control. And so isn't this a wonderful time to learn how to support one another? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a really good point too. bringing up, you know, there could be a, a transgender youth and can you imagine like being a, a transgender girl and mm-hmm. having to get separated and be with all the boys and like yeah. learn about that stuff? Like everybody needs to know everything. And I do remember like when I, my first little like sex education thing when I was younger, um, I'm from Delaware. I'm not from Georgia. Mm-hmm. I don't know what sex education is like here. It might be non-existent <laughs> for all I know. I don't but, think it's um, probably great. <laughs> where I grew up in fifth grade the boys and girls got separated Mm -hmm. and you know we learned about puberty but like I don't know exactly what the boys learned about but I know for us girls like we learned about menstruation and they gave us like pads and tampons and stuff like that and like a little bit of like anatomy um I don't think that they taught us about sex and they definitely didn't teach us anything about vulvas other than like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like the internal reproductive stuff, like, right. We learned about like the fallopian tubes and the uterus and stuff like that, but they definitely didn't talk to us about anything external. Yeah. And they talked to us about like pubic hair and like boobs getting bigger and stuff. So there was definitely some good stuff taken away from that, Mm -hmm. but always room for improvement. Oh, right. Like if I, if it had been like what you're doing, it would have been much better right because I don't think I even really understood like what sex was or how it worked until I was like 13 Mm -hmm. oh gosh I remember mine was just like here is a video that's terrible (laughs) we were separated and it was just a video on periods and then that was it (laughs) I was like really no no more conversation it was just so scary right puberty was scary we did I did have sex education in like ninth grade too, where they taught us about like contraception and stuff like that. Still, like we need more. We need, and I don't think anybody ever took it seriously. You know, kids were always laughing and the teacher didn't do anything about it. You know, it was always like, like a random teacher that taught it too, like a gym teacher or something. Like it (laughs) wasn't a teacher that like, if anything, I feel like it should be like the counselors, like- (laughs) (laughs) If, if you're going to have somebody who's not like an actual like sex therapist or whatever teaching sex education in schools, it should at least be somebody who's like a therapist or like <laughs> who understands maybe emotion and yeah, things like that. There's just so much more to it than like the science part of it. Like mm-hmm. 
there's emotional things there's there's just so much more to it there is okay so we are almost out of time already which is wild but one of the um questions i ask every person is what story are you reframing for your life right now um hmm i think the main thing for me is just becoming more independent and that's in so many different ways you know not just the typical like financially independent you know I went from being a stay-at-home mom to being a single mom all of a sudden having to provide for myself and all that but also just like being content with who I am Mm. and loving myself more being able to be alone more because you know my son I used to be with him 24 7 yeah and now he spends a week at my house and then a week at his dad's Oh, yeah, the weeks hard. that he's at his dad's are very quiet. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a partner, but he works long days, six days a week. So we really only see each other like on Sundays and in the evening. So I spend most of my time alone at mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. and it's not something I've ever done. Like I grew up in a big family. Mm. I've never, I have never had to spend so much time by myself and I'm learning to be more comfortable with that. And then, you know, like we talked before, I have experienced sexual trauma. So that's another thing that I'm reframing is my relationship with sex and sexuality mm-hmm. and my body. So overall, I'm just trying to become more independent in every way possible and more content with who I am mm-hmm. and just loving myself more. Mm-hmm. That's always the hard part, right? <laughs> For us to learn how yeah. to do that. But I'm really glad that one, I'm just glad that you decided to take this risk on this business and that it's been able to open your world to healing and to being, you know, more one with your body and to like take this journey. Yeah. I I don't even know like where I would be or who I would be if I had never started Not Your Nana's Yarn Work. It's just such a huge part of who I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, other than being a mom, it's one of the only things that I've ever felt like I'm really good at. Oh. <laughs> um, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me, second to having my son. It's mm. just, it's my livelihood. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so much more than a way to make money and support myself. It's just, I can't imagine who I would be right now, especially going through like a divorce and everything. Because before I started, this business, I did not love myself. I did not feel comfortable in my body. Mm-hmm. There, it's just changed me so much. I've met so many people who have changed my life. I've learned so many things. I, it's just, it's had such an impact. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really molded me into the strong, independent woman that I am. <laughs> Isn't it amazing sometimes to think it's like you decided one time to pick up yarn and a needle right on a hook and this is like what has happened it like totally it's kind of life. like yeah it, that's amazing I think that's also like a good lesson for people to be like take risks and be curious and try something you know like yeah think about things oftentimes we're afraid to to um, you know try new things or encounter new things because of fear of failure in order to become good at something, you have to fail at first yeah. and you have to make baby clothes that don't fit <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> in order to find yeah. 
your path. And I think that's, I mean, a wonderful lesson and reminder for everyone, you know? Yeah. I'm a huge advocate for following your dreams Mm -hmm. (laughs) and failing and trying again and, you know, doing things that make you happy. Like the world that we live in, there's just so many people who are just living to work, you know, working a job that makes them miserable and you need to find something that make makes you happy. You need to live for yourself. You know, for so long, my life was just taking care of my son and my family and doing nothing for myself mm-hmm. and, you know, running my own business and starting this and creating art has, it gave me something to live for other mm. than just being a mom. Yeah. So I'm a big advocate of people having creative outlets and trying new things and taking risks, following your dreams and doing things that make you happy and not being too hard on yourself. Yeah, that's great. Well, I have so enjoyed talking with you today and I just appreciate you being so open and vulnerable and sharing your gifts and wisdom with us. So thank you so much. And how can people find you? So Instagram, obviously, Mm -hmm. not your Nana's yarn work. That's my biggest platform and the easiest way to get in touch with me. I also have Big Cartel. It's bigcartel.com slash shop slash not your Nana's yarn work. (laughs) Um, And that's where I sell like my ready to ship stuff. And then I'm also on Patreon. But if you find me on Instagram, there is a link in my bio that will take you to everything else. So Instagram is the best place to go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Crystal. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so nice and refreshing. (laughs) 